0: Good evening. It's uh, it's great to see you. It's been a pleasure to be able to uh, be here with you this this month. I certainly enjoyed that, and uh, uh, just uh, kind of having a blast, uh, uh, spending some time writing and uh, thinking about uh, some things that I've wanted to write down for quite some time. And it's really uh, really nice to be able to. Just join with you each week and and worship. You'll open your Bibles to the 20th chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to take a look at this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Now throughout Matthew, Jesus constantly gave pictures of the kingdom. I, I love... Uh, pictures of things, and I and, uh, and I know most people do. We we're enamored with it. Our electronic devices constantly send pictures back and forth, and and we love those things because they're so full. They tell us so much, with even without words. Well, Jesus told pictures all the time, and he he described the kingdom in pictures. And those pictures are really great because we can get a fuller look instead of him just giving us some straight words. We can get a fuller look of the idea of what the kingdom is really supposed to be about. And and that I think is really critical. One of the interesting things though about his pictures are how they're so contrary at times to the way we think. And they were contrary even to the Jews in that time. And for example, in the 20th chapter, uh, or 20, uh, later in the 20th chapter of Matthew, in verse 20, 25 and 26, Jesus said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Now that's just upside down. To the people of that world, it's upside down to us today. Uh, Who's going to be the ruler? It's going to be the person who uh, pushes everyone down, who gets ahead of everyone, who who beats everybody to the punch, so to speak. This is the kind of person. Jesus says, well, in my kingdom, is going to be quite different. The one who is the greatest servant is going to be the one who is the greatest among them. And so you see these, these pictures that are kind of upside down. And that's, that's exactly why this story of the laborers in the vineyard is. Let, let's read the parable. Chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth, and in the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you too, go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those were hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. But when now when those hired first came, they thought, They would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now... We are absolutely... There's ways that we're different than the Jews and how they would have seen the picture like that. Some pictures that Jesus gave. There's ways that we're exactly like the Jews. And this is certainly one of them. All of us... Fill, fit into that category. We all think in the same way. If Dan hired me, uh, which that'd be a real blast. You know, Dan hires me to work with him, and and so we start at six a.m. and I work twelve hours all the way down. And, and about five o'clock in the afternoon, some old boy comes running, you know, walking up, and Dan goes, "Come on in, come I need some help here." And and he works a whole hour, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, Dan pays him exactly what he paid me. Man, I'm starting a union. That's what I'm I'm starting a union. What, what's going on here? You know, are, are you crazy? Who treats their workers that way? Get the picket sign out. We're, we've had it with that business. What are you talking about? And so you, 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 we, we get the same feel, don't we? We kind we of get that same. That's not fair. And of course, when we read the parable, we immediately think about heaven. And so it really doesn't bother us as much as what it actually is. I mean, just pluck the parable out. Take the story out of the context of you trying to figure out what its meaning is. And just look at it, and you're going to be upset. You're going to say, well, you know, as Americans... Yeah, equal pay for equal work here. You know, that's the way. We, we've got some some amendment, don't we? Or some constitutional thing that says this is wrong. And we're not going to be any more happy about this than the Jews would of that day. So Jesus really challenges them. He places before them some things here that are going to cause them to go, Yeah, What what is it with that? And he uses then the parable to teach something that is entirely different in his kingdom than would be in our kingdom and the way we would think about things. So we even do this. Now, let me point out, I think there's two mistakes in how we approach how Christians have typically, and I, I remember back a lot of years and how Christians used to interpret this, but there's a couple of mistakes that we make. The first mistake we make is we notice that there's a chapter division at chapter 20. And uh, you know, I, I'm getting to the point where I say this so much that at uh, uh, Brentwood, they, they're just mouthing the words as I say it, because they, they know I'm going to say the chapter division is wrong. You know, <laughs> Well, this is certainly one of those places. And, but but we, we, our minds mess, it just messes with our minds. We see a chapter division, and what do we do? We immediately go, okay, end of subject before, beginning of new subject. You know, that's what we do. Now, like what Marty Pickup would always say, he's a pay do not pay attention to the uninspired parts of your Bible. You know, and all of us to kind of scratch our heads and go uninspired parts of it, what what would be that? He goes chapter numbers, verse numbers, all your notes, <laughs> paragraphs, titles. These are all uninspired parts of your Bible. Please don't pay any attention to those it's one thing to have a chapter and verse things so we can call it out and you know where to go rather than like the Hebrew writer saying it says somewhere you know (laughs) And, and that's what they had to do in those days so but we get caught up in that and so we start with chapter 20 and pay no attention to the fact that this actually is a continuation of the pair of the story of the rich young ruler the actual real life story of the rich young ruler and you if you've studied the Bible very much, know that story. If you glance back before, you have this, this, uh, this, this rich, young fellow, and he comes to Jesus. What good thing do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, I've done all that. What else do I lack? And he said, well, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And the man went, <coughs> what? <laughs> and he went away sorrowful. And, and 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 so then Jesus points out how and the disciples are just absolutely shocked. And Jesus, Jesus they say, who, who can be saved? And Jesus points out to them, well, uh, it's really hard for a rich man to the kingdom of heaven. And it's even like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, whoa! And so then Peter makes the smart remark, "Well, Lord, we've given everything. What do we give? And he says, "Whoa, okay." And he tells. But then he ends that, and you notice chapter chapter twenty, and uh, I mean chapter nineteen and verse thirty. The end of chapter 19 Chapter nineteen is, but many who are first will be last and the last first. The end of the parable is, in chapter 20, verse 16, so the last will be first and the first last. So you see, that's, that's just bookended there, like that. He ends the, the story of the ruler with those words and he begins the parable and ends it with those words, so what is he doing? Well, he's using the parable then to explain what it means for the last to be first and the first last. That's what he's doing, and so we have to take the whole thing together if we're going to get the context. The second mistake that is often made with this is, is to just make a I would just say a simplistic explanation. This is what I heard growing up, but I really don't have any idea whether that's still running around or not. But what I heard growing up was, well, this just means, you know, if you were baptized at age 80, as compared to be baptized at age 20, well, you know, you get to go to heaven too, even though you might die at age 81. Like the oldest guy I ever baptized, it was 84 years old, and uh, his name was George. I, I loved him to death. And he, he died three years later. And you know, after he died, I, I was about 25. And after he died, I got so mad thinking about him being saved. And I'm going to have to work, you know, the next 50 years as a Christian. I was really fried. You we, we go, huh? <laughs> Not in the least would we think that would and that's not what he's talking about here. That's, that's, not, that's not in context. The context really wouldn't have anything to do with Jesus telling a story after this rich young ruler thing and telling a story and talking about, you know, well, if you live only three years as a Christian compared to 60 years as a Christian, that, uh, you know, you're both going to go to heaven. That's that's not the idea of the context. So what we want to do is we want to figure out how this goes in context, so that we understand the meaning. The kingdom of heaven is like. Well, that's really critical because you and I, as kingdom citizens, then have a beautiful lesson to learn from this, and it is an important lesson for us to learn. I mean, it is critically important. For us to learn this particular lesson. And so often it is missed because we're missing what the parable's point actually is in its context. So let's begin with this. And I want you to start with just who are the lost and who are the saved. So we're going to look uh, and, and see from the whole context who exactly is lost, who exactly is saved. So that we can at least outline that part before we go on. Well the first thing is the obvious and all of us are certainly going to be on board with this the rich ruler is lost. Uh, as a matter of fact, even even in the text, the disciples, after he goes away, they, they say, who then can be saved? So even they are admitting that he's lost because if he can't be saved, they're doubting who can be saved. Well, this this is phenomenal. This, this man who is very religious, very devout, who's kept the commandments from his youth, uh, who is all of these things, and, and you're going? He's going to be lost just because he doesn't dump all of his stuff and 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 follow you. I, I don't get that. That, that, is, that is really critical in the picture of here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So, so he, he's, they're just shocked by it So obviously the rich ruler is lost As we think about that though I want you to think a little bit about Why the rich ruler is lost Now you're, you're going to probably If I were to ask you that question Well why was the rich ruler lost Most of you would probably say He didn't sell everything <laughs> He didn't do what Jesus said Jesus said sell it And if he said sell it You've got to sell it uh, Yeah that's right That's right I want you to look a little bit more uh, besides that. I think there's some things deeper than that just in this whole reason that he said. When I have read this in in years past, and I I don't know if you've ever been there, but I think a lot of Christians have, I immediately think about, and this this seems to go into what we would discuss in a Bible class, I immediately think about what he had to give up. Instead of thinking about what Jesus offered him, I mean, this is crazy. How many people do you read about in the Gospel accounts who say to Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go, and He goes, no. I mean, the guy over there with the demons on the east side of, of Galilee, he says, well, let me go with you. And he says, no. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who would have loved to been on the inside circle, and he tells them, no. No, you're, you're, I'm not letting you go. With this man, Mark's account actually says that he loved him. He looked upon him, he loved him, and this is when he told him to do this. We forget about the end of the sentence. It's not just sell everything you have and give to the poor, it's come and follow me. You can be one of my inside guys. I can really use you. Come and follow me. Can you imagine that, honor. This is a tremendous honor to think about the Lord offering that kind of benefit. And, and I want to say, that is exactly where I think there's a big struggle uh, in the people I teach, or the people you teach and have contacted and had discussions with. A lot of times, what it comes down to is what I have to give up. Right? There's just, it's always something. Sometimes it's just, I like to do what I like to do when I like to do it. And that is the critical point. That person is thinking more about what I have to give up than thinking about what I am entering into and the honor that I have of coming into the Lord's vineyard. This is a tremendous honor that He is asking of me. And I'm sitting there thinking about, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know. Do I want to give that particular thing up? And, and all of us deal with things in which we say to ourselves, um, do I really have to give that up? Do I really have to do that much? Is, is, how about just this much? And we all run into that from time to time. So we're not immune to that. And and what that is, and this is one of the things I could talk to myself about all the time, is what that is, is, is I am struggling with the idea of if I give that up, I'm going to be giving up a certain amount of joy, a certain amount of comfort, a certain amount of... Uh, flexibility and doing what I want to do, etc. And I'm thinking then about what I'm going to lose in this. Instead of trusting, and this is where it comes down, instead of trusting that whenever God says give something up, He's actually replacing it with greater joy. I'm sitting here messing around uh, playing in mud puddles and He's offering a vacation in the Caribbean. You know, And he's trying to say, here, I've got so much more that I'm going to give you. And when he's asking, he's trusting me. Trust me, I'm going to provide. You're not going to miss what you think you're going to miss. And that's where this tremendous lack of trust, and all of us go there, where any time there's a sacrifice to be made, a lot of times there is this, this evaluation. Well, I, I might not get to do this. Then. If I give that up, I might not to do that. I'm going to recall, you recall back in the second chapter of the book of Acts when you have all these Christians and, and, and there's, there's all of them that are so many of them are in need and chapter 4 it even talks about how they were selling lands and houses most likely those lands and houses I mean they weren't the lands and houses they were living on otherwise they'd be out in the street too they're most likely lands and houses that, that's their that's my retirement <laughs> That's my retirement. I have that land and house because when the day comes I can't work, I can rent that out, or I can sell it, or I can, you know, whatever, and, and here they are, and people are running out of food, and you sell your house to feed somebody, and it's gone in a week. They ate it. Anybody struggling with that? <laughs> Dude, now what am I going to do? What am I going to do when my retirement comes? I just trash my retirement because these people were hungry. Can I just plant them some beets or something? And so you, you can feel that. And, and Jesus is pointing out here, you don't trust Him not trusting that I will provide you greater joy than anything you had to give up, which is exactly what he told Peter and the other apostles at the end of chapter 19 when he he says in verse 28, truly I say to you in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you shall have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or lands for my name, sake will receive a hundredfold and will receive eternal life so what you give up I'm giving you more so you need to trust that that's what is going to be replaced the second thing that is interesting and this is what I just kind of mentioned is sell it didn't just say sell it I, I, you know I, I, I had been sick feeling when I was growing up that my dad sometimes told me to do something just to see if he could make me do it. You know, would you dig that ditch and I'll fill it up kind of thing. I don't, he probably wasn't as I get older. But, uh, but at times it felt like that. I was oh, like, you kidding me? That Bermuda grass is going to grow back anyway. Why not to pull it out? You know, there was just those sorts of things. But well, Jesus didn't just say, you just sell it because I just want to see if you'll sell everything. Sell it and give it to the poor. You know, poverty in those days is different than poverty today in America. At least, there's a lot of poverty in other countries that would be equal to the kind of poverty they have. At times I've been in India, I just shivered to see the number of people just lining a road, living in cardboard boxes, and, and that's all they have, and bathing in a lake that uh, people have had to be taken to the hospital if they just fell into the lake. It was so filthy. Uh, and drinking the water and things like this and and they're living in in abject poverty it's just amazing and all you could do is look at it and you say "Man, how do you help this it's overwhelming and that was the kind of thing they had then there was an overwhelming amount of poverty and it couldn't be all solved, but a man with this kind of wealth needed to understand that there was somebody other than him that was important in his life. And, and then, uh, of course, he valued earthly treasure over heavenly treasure. And, and, and we all readily see that. But that translates into this for us. Where are you looking? You know, where is your sight? Is your sight on eternal things the things now we, we so easily look at now and we think again about this and that and how much I'm going to have and whether or not I'm gonna live and all this And Jesus is say look you, you don't you're not even looking in the right place you're not looking eternally and, and that's what this man is I mean we, we don't' it'd been interesting to know the end of the story maybe this man lived to be 80 years old or 60 years old or whatever but at his funeral, What do you think his first thought is a second after his death? What do you think it is? Wow, do I wish I should have sold it all. Because what's it worth to me now? Absolutely nothing. So whatever it is, it is time to give it up if I'm going to need to do so in order to have the kingdom of God first. Now, Follow-up of this is that everybody who is like the rich young ruler is lost. Everybody who's like the ruler is lost. Jesus explains that by saying in chapter nineteen and uh, and, and verse twenty-three, "Truly, I tell you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven." And I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. With difficulty. How easy is it for you to to read that and go, yep, all those rich people over there in Palm Beach, it's going to be rough for them to try to get to heaven. Um, Was Abraham rich? Yeah. His, his, God made him quite well. He lived in a tent his whole life. I think I'm going to die if I live in a tent one night. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa's like, let's go, let's go camping in a tent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he, he lived in a tent his whole life and he was rich. How much richer are you? like do you know anybody i don't go how poor who doesn't have a television what you gotta have a television television and a cell phone you know the homeless have that sometimes i mean come on It, it is amazing how much we have we are rich we don't need to be deceiving ourselves with difficulty we enter the kingdom of heaven Because we're constantly challenged with those things we have. And it's one of the ways Satan tries to keep us comfortable, tries to get us to think in terms, like the ruler did and like the Jews of that time, think in terms of my wealth is blessings from God, and look how easy things are going, and look at all of this. I certainly must be saved because I'm coasting. I'm just doing great. And we look at the exterior and are not concentrating on what's really going on inside. Who then can be saved, they said. Now, by the way, this whole thing about it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, a rich man you know, you can get in heaven somebody wrote back in the uh, back in the nineteenth century, uh, and it got it just caught on. But some commentator wrote. That there was actually this little opening in the uh, wall of Jerusalem. And that if a camel got down and unloaded everything on it and got, you know, and scooted underneath, he could add that. And that was called the eye of the needle. And so it was really hard, but he had to get everything off. (laughs) That's a big lie. (laughs) There's no such thing as that. Okay. uh, We don't even know why this guy thought that up, except... He was scared to death that the passage was saying nobody who's rich could go to heaven. Well, of course, that's not so. Abraham was rich. we already know. There's rich people mentioned in the New Testament. It's not that they can't get into heaven. This is a Jewish hyperbole. Okay? Uh, hyperbole means an exaggeration for a fact. He's just saying it's tough. He's not saying it's impossible. And then Jesus replies and even says uh, to them that... Uh, that this, this whole thing has to do with what God's going to do. With God, all things are possible. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, who else is lost? The first hour laborers are lost. Now, that's where I may have lost you. You might say, wait a minute. They got it in our hands. Now, I'm going to suggest the first hour laborers are lost. They are in the same category as everybody else in this particular uh, passage. Now, you, you, you want some proof of it, all right? First of all, compare chapter nineteen, verse thirty. We've to again. Who's he talking about in chapter nineteen, verse thirty when he says many are first who will be last, and the last first? Well, he's talking about the rich ruler. The rich ruler is the one who many would thought would be first, and he is last. And we've already determined he's lost. So Jesus already is talking about this individual. He's explaining why the rich ruler is lost. The parable explains why the rich ruler is lost. And at the end, he repeats the same thing, saying the last will be first and the first last. He is referring to those who are lost. The further confirmation of this. In the thirteenth chapter of the book of Luke, when Jesus is talking about the picture of, of the kingdom of heaven and the day of judgment, he says he says when he's he's asked the question, will there be few that are saved? And he says in verse twenty eight, in that place, speaking of hell, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. "...when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from east and west and from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God, for behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last." They use the exact same phrase. In that context... It's not exactly the same as this context, but the principle is the same. In that context, He is simply saying, you people, you Jews, think that the Gentiles are the last who would ever be able to be in the kingdom. They, there's just no chance. But we Jews, we're first. You know, we, we've got to get out of jail, free car. We're going to be in. And that's that, we're the ones first. And Jesus says, no, it's actually the way around. You're going to... You're going to be weeping and gnashing your teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those you boast in as being sinful, you're going to see them in the kingdom and you are going to be thrust out. Now, who's the last? Those who are thrust out. The first who are last are those who are thrust out. It's not, They're not saved. So the same principle and the same phrase is used here. These First, our laborers are lost. Notice something else. When he uses that phrase, he indicates that we're dealing with a picture from whom those in the world would have thought are the most likely to be saved they are the ones that you have most likely that's who you would say would be saved. And this is exactly the way the Jews looked at things. They said a person who is rich, you see this more in Luke chapter 15, chapter 16, if you are rich, God must have blessed you more than anybody else. It's the whole principle like in the book of Job. Since Job lost everything, what do his friends say? You must have been a terrible sinner. That's why you lost everything that you would live like us. If we were so good and great and if you had done this and this and this and they give speech after speech after speech telling Job that he would just live Better, he would have been blessed, and he's obviously not blessed, so he's obviously not living as he should. That's the way the Jews live. And so Jesus is saying, "Let's flip that thing upside down, because that really isn't the case. Just because you're living well does not mean you've got a shoe into heaven." Is exactly why in Luke 16 uh, he tells that that parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Let's pull the curtain of death back and see who's in there. The rich man or the poor man? Well, the poor man. And that was shocking to the Jews. And so this is the idea of the person who is most likely that they would say who would be number one chance to get into heaven is not the person who was going to make it. I mean, there's something else that's interesting about this. And that's the things that didn't keep, that, that, that did not keep the first hour laborers out of the kingdom. Uh, it didn't keep them out of the kingdom because they were immoral. They weren't immoral. You know, there's no indication that these are immoral people or anything like that. They're not kept out of the kingdom because they're irreligious. Same thing with the rich ruler. He's a very religious man. They're not left out because they're not religious or they're not faithful to the temple worship. So you're dealing with people who are, as the ruler was, dedicated, religious, Moral, you know, all these things tied together and yet still lost. And so that's what's disturbing. That's what's disturbing to these Jews. That's what I think is disturbing also uh, to us is just to look at the things that were there. He's lost because God's not number one. Because he just doesn't make it that way uh, in his life. So they, these rulers and the first hour laborers would be accepted. You know, interesting love. In, uh, in most churches. Today. I mean, you think about it. You have somebody in, in a church, and they're they're very successful, and they you know they come to every service, and they study, and, and they give great comments in class, and you know all, all they may be a deacon or an elder or whatever, and and they could be like their ruler if they're not careful. It'd be easy to be. Then in that category. Alright, with all of that, let's get to the meaning of the parable. So, all of that was introduction. Right? So, <laughs> so we just have five minutes for the parable now. That's all. So that, that that's that's the idea. Alright, so here we are. There. First of all, there's a very simple point. The kingdom is illustrated by vineyard and laborers. Now that wouldn't be foreign to Jews, would it? It wouldn't be foreign at all. Vineyard and laborers. they got vineyard parables in the Old Testament. Laborers in the kingdom. Who's the master? If you looked at the parable, who's the master? Well, it's God. It's, and what's God doing? He's going out all day looking for laborers. God is looking for who? He's looking for laborers. I I think that our... And I'm it's not biblical... But well, when we say members of the church, we, we, we almost dumb down who we are. Like we're signed up for the lottery club or something, and we're members of it, kind of thing. But God is looking for laborers. That's what He's always been looking for. And all of his vineyard stories. He's looking for those who are laborers and that's who God is seeking. Secondly, we're reminded that the parable is an explanation of who is first and thus last and who is last and thus first. We need to also, of course, keep that in mind. So with that in mind, consider this. There are two classes of laborers. Now you might think, well, wait a minute, there's five classes. There's the first, the third, the sixth, the ninth, and the eleventh. No, there's only two classes of laborers. There's the first hour laborers, and then there's everybody else. That's the way this plays out, and that's the way sometimes we do not see it. Just look at this. Anybody see the third hour laborers complaining? How about the sixth hour laborers? How about the ninth hour laborers? Why aren't the third hour laborers complain? Hey, they started at 9 in the morning. They worked in the heat of the day as well. They had to work all day long. You don't see them at 6 o'clock going, Man! Well, you know why? Well, they got it nice. They got more than what they deserve too. Shut my mouth. I'm not going to complain. I got some benefits out of this as well. There's two classes. There's the first hour laborers and then there's all the rest. The first hour laborers, you will notice, went into the vineyard on a contract. He talks about how they, they, they bargained for it after agreeing with the laborers for denarius a death. How eager are the first hour laborers to go to work? It's not like the master walked up and said, got a job, Want it. Yeah! Look, we're looking at day laborers here. What are they doing? They don't have a job. They walk down to the marketplace and wait and hope that some big owner of a vineyard comes in and says, I need some workers. I've seen that a lot in California. At least when I was younger. You, you knew I even went twice because I needed some work and I went down to places all kinds of people gathered and, and, and they, some farmer would come up and he'd say I need some workers and I mean you about punched the guy out behind you because you wanted to be in you didn't know what you were going to be paid you just needed money these guys aren't that way they're going uh, <clears throat> well how much at you Do you see that in the third hour labors or the 11th hour labors no they just go into the vineyard. They go in the vineyard on the basis of trust. Does that sound familiar to you as how we got into the vineyard? How we got into the kingdom? How did we get it? Trust. We didn't make a contract with him. We're just thrilled that he said, you want to come in? <laughs> Yippee. You ain't kidding. Out here is no good. I'm going to starve to death. Out here, I want in. And so there is the picture of the difference in these labors. And then you notice the 11th hour labors are paid first. That is totally unconventional. The lab, wait, you, you can imagine. what First hour labors are going, to come, they're get in the front of the line. Jesus walks to the back of the line and goes, okay, I'm paying you first. First hour labors are going, did you see what he got? Man, this is going to be cool when he gets to us. We're going to get... Let's see, one hour equal a denarius. We could get like 12 denarius. That would be cool. <coughs> and he gets up there, and you get one too. That's it. And so you see that picture there and, and you see how they, they were uh, paid this way just to show them. Now, first hour laborers grumbled. They grumbled. I want to ask you a question. Anybody here think that there's any chance that when God ushers you into heaven, you're going to take a look around and you're going to go, Are you kidding me? They got in? <laughs> they got in? I'm going right up to the Lord What do you think you're doing to them in? Well, I know some of the things they did. You don't let them in? Can you imagine doing that? Uh uh-uh. uh. Because I'm just glad to get in. I'm just like, I made it. Somebody else here, great, high five, we made it. I mean, nobody's going to grumble. These guys are grumbling. Who grumbles about that? Not kingdom citizens, folks. I'll tell you who grumbles about that. Jews who think they're in because they did their cute little works That fit a little paradigm of, hey, dude, we got the circumcision, we got the lineage, we got the Sabbath day, we got all this. We get in from the basis of our works. That's exactly what you've been studying in Romans. Isn't the way it happens is. That's exactly what Jesus illustrated. Who's, Who's it possible? Who did he say all things were possible with God? God is going to make it so. I can give everything up. God is going to enable me to do what seems impossible for me. And we just realize. Oh, I, I, I feel like there's no way I meet up. And the third to 11th hour labors, that's, exa- that's exactly what they know. There is no way. I got hired at nine. I don't deserve a denarius. I got hired at noon. I don't deserve a denarius. I get assigned and I hired the I don't deserve. I don't deserve anything like this. And the first hour laborers, you notice, have an evil eye. He refers to them as have an evil one. If these people are saved, that's an odd way of describing them, wouldn't you think? No, that, that's that's again. I think another thing that indicates that they are not talking about who is saved here. Look, here's the deal. 3rd through 11th hour laborers received more than they deserved. The going rate was a denarius a day. They received more because they simply trusted in the master to receive of his goodness and his graciousness and the master was gracious even to hire them. The day is partway gone. He was just gracious even to let them in. And then you see the first hour laborers they received exactly what they bargained for. Do you remember what Jesus said Luke 6:17 verse 10 when you have done all that you were commanded say we are unworthy servants we have only done what was our duty. That's the way kingdom citizens think. That was not the way the Jews in general thought an appreciation for the grace and mercy of God of even bringing them, of even allowing them the opportunity to come into the kingdom. There's one other thing that I think is interesting here. There's a difference in the spirit by which each group went into the vineyard. Uh, All of you who have worked in the secular world, myself included, you've seen this. You get somebody on the job and they try to get away with as little as possible. They're just looking for the paycheck. I have literally had workers tell me, dude, slow down. You're making us look bad. You need to pay. Just try to get by with you. What do these 3rd through 11th hour laborers, what, what are they like? You want to come into the vineyard? huh. Not a word about how much you're going to pay me. Huh? How much you're going to pay me? No. You want to come into the vineyard? Boom. They have a love for doing it. We have first hour laborers in our churches. Yeah, we do. They are every single person who starts asking, How much do I have to do? That's the first hour laborers in our churches. They're asking how much I have to do. They serve the Lord from the standpoint of the way you, and I may have mentioned this back in August, but the way you and I fill out a tax return. How much can I get by with? And that's the way they do it. That's first hour laborers. We go into the vineyard because we are tickled to death to work for the Master. What a great, great opportunity. Now, who thinks they're first? Hey, judgment, I'm first. You're going to walk right up to the Lord. You're going to say, Lord, they didn't deserve that. You give me, I worked hard. You give me what I deserve. You want me to tell the Lord you want you want what you deserve? Hi, yi, 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 don't give me what I deserve (laughs) give me the whole thing I don't deserve it and that's the parable of and labors I think it's a beautiful picture to teach us the kind of spirit we ought to have to go into the kingdom if you're not a Christian we urge you to consider your situation don't be like first-hour laborers and say, well, you know, how much am I going to get and how much am I going to have to do? Just be excited. that You get to be in the kingdom. The Master is going out at every hour looking for those who will be laborers. You have a chance to come. We urge you to take that step. While together we stand, while we stand.